still works. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's good. We're good. We're good to go. <laughs> mm. It's the final verse of John 20. Most uh, scholars actually believe that John 20, chapter 20, is the original end of John's gospel, chapter 21, serving as a bit of an epilogue uh, to John's gospel. And so it's, it's in this final verse of John's, uh, that he, John's gospel here in this last chapter that John makes a plea that he began his gospel with, actually, so that you might believe, so that you might come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah through believing you might have life in his name. Belief is a huge thing for John. It would be the number one theme for John. More than 80 times the word for belief, pastuo, is, is mentioned in uh, John's gospel, just far outnumbering any other book in the New Testament with this concentration of belief. And I want to give a shout out to Matt Barnes, who helped me out as recently as Friday, just offering a nice little insight that I will offer to you as well. That this word, this Greek word, the root word is pastuo, it means belief, but it really means more than that, especially more than what we in our culture, our modern world, think. We we tend to think intellectually whenever we think about the word belief. It's affirming some truth. Uh, we can also think religiously, and we can use a word like faith. And that, of course, is also true and would be an appropriate translation of this word. But, but there's more than just intellectual assent. There's more than religious affirmation. Think relationally. Think relationally. And use another word, a word trust. Trust. Deep confidence. That is, is really what is being communicated here. It's closer to the heart of what John wants, what Jesus wants for each and every one of us. Trust, a deep confidence. Uh, the message paraphrase kind of captures this relational aspect using the word belief, but, but just helping us at least a little bit more where it says these are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing have real and eternal life in the way personally, that he personally revealed it. Trust, deep assurance, confidence. Today's scriptures are all about that word. Every passage is about having deep trust, confidence in Christ and in God, Christ's resurrection, Jesus' resurrection. And in fact, I'm going to suggest to you that there's a, bit of a, there's a bit of trajectory of trust offered in our different passages this morning. Beginning with John's gospel... And, and even I'll go a little bit before what was read for us this morning by Dan. Remember, just before we see the disciples in the upper room there, there is this moment just before where, where the resurrected Jesus meets Mary. Talked about Matthew's version of this last week. Jesus meets Mary in the midst of her grief and of her weeping, and then suddenly her sorrow is transformed. 
into deep trust and joy as she encounters the resurrected Jesus. We move to the disciples. They're behind locked doors for fear of their own lives. And the resurrected Jesus meets them in their fear, and he offers not once but twice the words peace, peace. And then he breathes on them, the new creation breath of the Holy Spirit. Next, we have the account of Thomas. Thomas comes to him in his doubt. And the resurrected Jesus, in tenderness and in kindness, offers his body for Thomas to behold. And Thomas responds with the most profound confession that's been made in the entire Gospel of John. John saves it for the very end, where Thomas doesn't just simply say, you are the Messiah. Thomas says, my Lord, my God. In every situation... Whether it's deep distress or paralyzing fear or despairing doubt, the resurrected Jesus meets and transforms every situation and every person into confidence and trust. Then we get to Acts chapter 2, and there's Peter. Look at Peter, will you? Wow, look at the change that's taken place in Peter, because I told you about that epilogue in John. Most of us remember the epilogue of John, John chapter 21, where the resurrected Jesus meets Peter on the shore, meets Peter the denier in his guilt and shame over the denials, and slowly, gently, and powerfully restores and recommissions And now here he is. Now here he is standing before the crowd at Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, completely transformed by the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's also filled with confidence. In fact, he says so. I will say confidently before you, and he testifies about the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus insisting that the reality of our resurrection is possible as well. Within this moment, he quotes a large section of Psalm 16, which I'll talk about a little bit more later, this precious Psalm of David, now perfectly realized in Jesus and his resurrection. And then we get to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, which is attributed to Peter, written by, or at least attributed to this same Peter at Pentecost, calling others, calling the early church, calling you and me down through history to trust and to have confidence in the resurrected Jesus and in in our future resurrection that is directly connected to Jesus, to insist that the reality of our resurrection inheritance can help us, that inheritance waiting for you, that we are heirs of Christ. Allow allow that reality to strengthen us, even as we, in this time, right now, still experience trials and suffering of all kinds. And one of the main things that's being insisted on here, both in 1 Peter and in John this morning, is this. That we who have not seen can have this belief. 
that this faith, this same trust, in the same way that those who did see, they saw him, they touched Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, they have it, we can have the very same kind of faith. It is available to us if only we will trust, if only we will believe. N.T. Wright looks at these passages and says it this way, touching is possible, seeing is enough, but believing is best. Over the decades, I've been helped to see that this resurrection, that the resurrection of Jesus, the, the, the resurrection reality that, that these passages have been talking about is absolutely at the forefront of the early church, and it's actually everywhere in the New Testament. It's not just an event that we highlighted last week, last Sunday on Easter Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus is not only a profession of our faith. It is a reality that we entrust ourselves. We have confidence in both about God and about ourselves as followers of Jesus. So let me, let me throw it, frame it this way for you a little bit. If last Sunday was about celebrating the resurrection, I forgot to bring my bell, but I should have. Because, you know, what, what a great day that was. Last, if last Sunday was about celebrating the resurrection, today and these next weeks especially are about helping us to see this resurrection reality make its way into our lives. Into the lives, see how it's made its way into the lives of the first followers of Christ and how it can also make its way into our lives. One of the, one of the beautiful things about our tradition in the Anglican way is there we are invited into an entire season, not just a day, to actually put this into practice. We're in the season of Eastertide, and we'll be in the season of Eastertide for a while. We'll, we'll be there until Pentecost. It's 40 days from the day of, uh, from Easter Sunday to the ascension of Jesus. Then tack on 10 more days from the ascension of Jesus to the day of Pentecost. So we get 50 days, 40 days of Lent, 50 days of Eastertide to allow this reality, to keep our focus on this reality. It's interesting. The, the more I began to see this and was helped to see this in different ways, the more it was popping up everywhere. I think of Eugene Peterson. He, he, he looks at, the, uh, at, at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and, and, he, and he really just sums up, in many ways, his address, his looking at the, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians about growing up in Christ it's really it's about practicing resurrection. Just get this into your practice. Practice, practice, practice. Don't just affirm this faith. Don't just assent to this belief. Practice this trust, this confidence. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in our resurrection life that is made possible by his resurrection. And so this morning... I simply want to invite you into that practice, the practice of getting it into our minds, not letting it slip away too quick, getting it on our lips as a way not only to see God and who God is, but as a way to make sense of life as followers of Christ.
How to do this? I'm going to start really simply here. I I, I want to encourage us to do this and put this into practice by just, there's two two things that we do every Sunday that I just want to call your attention to. Now, for some of you, you know that most of you know this, but I'm just going to take a moment to not assume anything and just call you to actively engage, actively engage confessing your faith. In just a few minutes, when the Nicene Creed is offered to us and we all get to, to, to confess that creed together, not only do we confess in that moment that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, but also we will confess trust confidence in our bodily resurrection. And in fact, some of you may notice that oftentimes many of us actually cross ourselves during that time. It's a moment where we are, make, we are reminding ourselves and our bodies, it's our bodily resurrection we're talking about right here, making a connection to all of this and, and the participation that we ourselves have. Secondly, by actively engaging in the Lord's Supper, to listen attentively as the priest announces this morning that priest will be Joe, that by the Jesus' resurrection, he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. And later, in the fullness of time, God, put all things in subjection under your Messiah, under your Christ, and bring us along with all your saints, into the joy of your heavenly kingdom where we shall see Jesus face to face. That's all happening at the table. Oftentimes we think only of the cross. It is cross resurrection. It's all happening right there for you and me. And in fact, we all gather in together at the end when we offer this post-communion prayer thanking God for assuring us of these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son, Jesus Christ, and heirs with an inheritance of your eternal kingdom. This is taken straight from 1 Peter. This is straight out of our text today. All of this is happening every Sunday to call us to to be and to think like resurrection People, and to see and understand our life and our calling to have confidence and trust. Thirdly and finally, I want to encourage you not only to practice, engage, confessing your faith and engage the Lord's Supper, I want to invite you to take that beautiful psalm that Peter alludes to in Acts chapter 2, Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is very precious to me, very precious to me, and making it a a regular part of this Easter season. I invite you to perhaps consider praying it every day, or occasionally at the very least. Oh, man, Psalm 16 has become very precious to me over the past 15 years. Um, I started practicing this when when we got a dog. And I had to walk the dog around the block. Uh, That was 15 years ago now. She still remains. Perhaps she's heard that prayer so well that she's living into that prayer herself. I don't don't know that psalm. Uh, It didn't occur to me until just now to to offer that to you. Uh, (laughs) But in the place where I was as one who wrestles, has wrestled and still wrestles with fear right along 
with the disciples in the upper room. He's wrestled with doubt in all shapes and sizes right along with Thomas. Who has come to face come face to face with my own failure and the shame and the guilt that it brings. Not at all unlike Peter. I've been so greatly helped by this beautiful 11-verse psalm. It has been a lifeline for me because at the heart of it, it is a psalm that addresses the very confidence and trust that I've been talking about this morning. One of these days, I'm more than happy to bore you with hours upon hours of my reflection on this psalm. I've already grabbed a few people's attention. Billy Coppage, bless his heart, he's listened to me, and he actually wrote a, a beautiful poem in response to my ramblings one time. It is a huge blessing to me. I'm glad to see you back there, brother. But for this morning's purpose, I simply want to offer you this. Let me simply encourage you to see the invitation to grow and trust in confidence in God that this powerful little psalm invites us to. It invites us to trust in God's character, declaring both God's greatness and God's goodness in the first two verses. And now fresh off Good Friday and Easter Sunday, this is probably easier for us to remember. But for many of us already, it might, have, might begin to be fading away from us. Because remember what looks like weakness and foolishness to the rest of the world. The cross is actually the power of our very good God. Trust in God's character, both his greatness and his goodness together. Trust in God's people. The influence that they have on our lives and on the world while simultaneously rejecting the voices and the influences of, that, of other gods clamoring for our attention and for our allegiance. Thirdly, trust in God's provision. Both the riches as well as the limits of our inheritance. Think of that glorious inheritance that Peter talks about. Even grander and, and, and more glorious than, than what David perhaps is, is, is seeing and completely understanding. Peter now talks about this glorious inheritance that is ours. Yet at the same time, there's boundary lines, there's limits that I have learned over time. When I cross my limits, the boundary lines that have been wonderfully and beautifully set for me, I always move into destructive territory. It does me and others no good. In a world that screams that you can never, never have enough and that refuses to accept anything so demeaning as limits and fences and boundary lines, The psalmist here delights not only in the riches of his inheritance, but in the fact that there are boundary lines, and I'd do well to stay within them. Trust in God's guidance, God's active presence in our daily lives, his guidance available both day and night, night and day. Not only incense may arise, but God's wisdom, God's guidance, night and day, day and night, and our willing participation to stop Think about God, to keep him always before us. Trust, finally, God's firm grip on us and the promise of resurrection life in him. 
that has been confirmed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and that Peter so beautifully proclaimed on that Pentecost day that we have right there in Acts chapter 2. Those three verses are the three verses that Peter proclaimed to everyone else to connect with the resurrection hope that each and every one of us have in Jesus Christ. I invite you, sisters and brothers, to walk in this resurrection confidence, this resurrection reality, this resurrection trust. Continue to walk in this Easter season. Let me pray for us. Protect us, O God, for in you we take refuge. We say to the Lord, you are our Lord. We have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble in whom is all our delight. Those who chase after other gods multiply their sorrows, their drink offerings of blood. We will not pour out or take their names on our lips. The Lord is our chosen portion and our cup. You hold our lot. The boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. We have a good heritage, eternal heritage. We bless the Lord who gives us counsel in the night. Also our heart instructs us. We keep the Lord always before us because he is at our right hand, we will not be moved. Therefore, our heart is glad and our soul rejoices. Our body also rests secure. For you do not abandon us to Sheol. You do not let your faithful ones see the pit. You show us the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand. Our pleasures forevermore. Thanks.